Hallelujah, Christ is risen. To be a light, to lighten the Gentiles, and to be the glory of thy people, Israel. Now, I think that you've already noticed that that is not the text for today. And there's a reason why it's not actually the text for the today and why I'm using it. So let me say a word about it. One of the things that is really marvelous in the Book of Common Prayer is there's prayer for absolutely Every occasion isn't there. And one of the oldest offices, which is what we call the daily office in, in this book of common prayer, four offices, is that we have particular canticles which punctuate the particular office. So in Compline, the particular canticle that has been used invariably is what we call the Song of Simeon, or the Nunc Dimittis. And you remember the biblical circumstances. You remember how excited Simeon was. And then finally he could say, his eyes have seen thy salvation. But he says about Jesus, to be a light, to lighten the Gentiles, to be the glory of thy people Israel. Now if you say evening prayer, you notice that it's taken from Compline and put in evening prayer, but it's originally primarily looked at with Compline, the last night, the night prayer, the last office of the day. So now you perhaps wonder what this has to do with the readings. Well, I once again would like for you to look at the first reading from the Acts of the Apostles. And what do you see there? What you see is that there's a great clarity on the parts of Paul and Barnabas, whereby they're wanting to make it clear to the Jewish people who have gathered that the Jewish people were given the law. But they also point out that not everything has gone according to plan and that now there's an opportunity for the good news to go to the Gentiles. Think about that for just a moment. There they are, stuck with a reality. The word of God is now going to the Gentiles, that is to say the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't associate with his people, but now it's going to them. So what I'm looking at, and this is not me doing any kind of particular profiling, but I guess what I could probably say is I observe that very few of you are native-born Jews who were born in a synagogue. Would that be a, a somewhat accurate? Yeah, I, I was thinking that. And therefore, I would also have to conclude, therefore, that the rest of us fall in that other category, don't we? The Gentile. When's the last time you went somewhere and somebody says, hey, there's a Gentile coming in the store? They don't do that anymore. But the fact of the matter is that's the category we're in. And the reality is that the good news was taken to us and it was foretold by aged Simeon in this beautiful canticle, the Nunc Dimittis. Now you'll notice also a couple of principles that need to be looked at as it relates to the Acts of the Apostles. I think one of the things you're going to notice is when Jesus did rise from the dead, there was not an emergency meeting of the Sanhedrin. That is to say, on the premises. 
And there was not a huge gathering of people who came so that they could celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, there were a couple of empty spaces that day where people could have a seat if they wanted somehow to be a witness to the resurrection. And so originally, of course, as Jesus had risen from the dead, you may recall the attendance that Sunday was a little on the light side. But you also recognize that after people became convinced, attendance started to increase. They had a much higher ASA a little later on. And that's because people began to believe. But now we get into the problem, who are the real believers? Whoops. The Jewish people, of course, were saying, we are the ones. Because he's Jewish, he came so that we, he would be our promised Messiah. And of course, the question is, so how did that go for you when he did rise from the dead, folks? Where were you? Or is the proverbial hymn that has become increasingly popular on Good Fridays in American churches is, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when he rose from the dead? Sometimes it causes me to tremble. Now the problem is that the Gentiles now are recognizing something that's going on, but for just a moment, think about this. All these promises that were foretold in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament today, this was not something the Gentiles were familiar with. But now, all of a sudden, they're excited beyond measure in the Acts of the Apostles today because they likewise are now experiencing Jesus. They're a little less likely to call him the king of the Jews, even though that would be true, but they were thrilled beyond measure that they could now be included. So it raises an extremely important question, I think, and that is, how do we become included in all of this? So that takes us to the gospel, doesn't it? And you'll notice what introduces the gospel for today. You'll notice that what introduces it is Judas has just done his deed. And now he's left. And people aren't saying, where did Judas go? We don't have it recorded, at least. Maybe they did. But Jesus now proclaims, now is the Son of God to be glorified. What? You mean an act of betrayal will lead to being glorified? So let's check that one for just a moment. If you've ever been betrayed, if anybody has ever spoken ill of you, isn't your first call to somebody whom you love to tell them that you want them to rejoice with you because you've just been betrayed? I mean, how do we respond to betrayal? How do we respond to people not being charitable and not being kind to us? We don't respond by saying, thank you, Jesus. We start complaining. We're upset. We want other people to know how upset we are. But now we get into that next section of the gospel, which is really remarkable, because you'll see two words that leap out. One word is commandment. The other word is love. Now, when we look carefully, you go back to Maundy Thursday, 
What is another name for Monday Thursday? You could call it Mandate Thursday or Commandment Thursday. And why is that? Because we see the commandments that Jesus gave, which are different, not to refute what the Ten Commandments were, but as Jesus makes crystal clear that he has come to fulfill them. And now what he says is really remarkable. And that is a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another even as I have loved you. And in that love, he shares something with us that oftentimes is missed in the culture in which we live today. To put it a little differently, I know you're going to go into Hallmark and you're going to see lots of cards about love. This is probably not on the shelf. And that's because when you talk about love in this world, you recognize that it's probably very, very different from the kind of love that God has for you. In fact, when we think about God's love for us, in particular when we think about how Jesus loves us, what would be the one word that you think would probably precede the word love most popularly with most people when they're talking about God's love for us? Unconditional. That's exactly right. The word unconditional undoubtedly will always be applied whenever we talk about God, when we talk about the love that Jesus has for us. Now, how is that different from the world's view of love? Well, I guess the opposite of unconditional is conditional, isn't it? So I want you for just a moment to think about how many times you and you, the course of your life have had to earn somebody's love. Think about it. Also, consider the fact that I can tell you this, after many years of counseling, I can tell you that there are many people still walking around who are my age, who are still waiting, unrealistically of course, to hear their dad say, I love you. Not gonna happen. Well, at least not in the way that they perhaps have wanted. He's at home, hopefully with the Lord. So many people walk around in life terribly wounded, terribly wounded, because they never heard from the person who mattered to them or the individuals who mattered to them, I love you. I love you. Now here's the good news, and I think you know this. You do not have to earn God's love. Think about that. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. That's it. You can't change his mind. Now, I will admit that a lot of us work overtime to try and get him to change his mind, perhaps. And I suspect we could even go so far as to say, now that person really has probably mastered working hard to make sure that he can say, I don't think even God loves me. But he can't say that. God gets to decide, doesn't he? And God has decided that he loves you. That's what he's decided, he loves you. Now, I think you know that by and large, I hope at least by now in my several months with you, that I like to speak directly. There are several things that I don't utilize in groups and in conferences and all the times that I travel around is I really, I'm not a fan of passive-aggressive behavior. Don't like it at all. 
And there's a lot of reasons for it. One is because it oftentimes is done in a way that excludes people. And they find out about it inappropriately. I don't like triangulation. I don't like where people haven't been able to have the kind of trust in relationships that they can go directly to somebody and say something in love. That is not what I would call positive group dynamics. And so never be surprised that in the church, out of the church, around the church, you name it, there will always be types of communications that do not reflect the, new, the commandment that Jesus gives us in the gospel for today. Here's what he's saying. You ready for this? He is saying that each one of you is a badge. Put a little differently, let's pretend for just a moment that you went somewhere afterwards today. You today might be the only person that somebody experiences that demonstrates to them what Christian love is. Or let's put it another way. If people would come into our meetings and our gatherings and just overhear all the things we talk about in the church, would they conclude that there's nothing more loving than the church? Well, I would say in most instances I think so, and in other instances I would have to say I sure hope so. But one of the things that bishops get to do is we get to deal with something that uh, existed before the terms ever came up, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because we're supposed to hear, we're supposed to pray, we're supposed to work with. So what is the whole point of what I'm saying in this regard? In spite of what's going on anywhere at all, God will not change his mind about loving you. When we do these things that I say are not necessarily helpful advertisements as to what Jesus is talking about when he talks about us being able to demonstrate love for one another, even when we can't do this, God keeps giving us a little more room. You know, in the 60s and 70s, people regularly were able to give me a variety of sayings that they felt would look nice on my wall or on my desk. I uh, recognize that I've never thrown anything away that I can think of that was given to me in that regard. And so therefore you can imagine over 48 years of ordination, I do have a few boxes, don't I? Sometimes because they remind me of the person who gave it to me, sometimes because they actually wrote something on the back of it, Sometimes I remember where it would hang in one of my churches uh, as I was moving about the country, it's true. But the one, I remember one time that came in to being, that became very popular, it was this. If you were arrested for being a Christian today, would there be enough evidence against you for you to be convicted? Isn't that an incredible thought? And you think about the people who have been arrested for their faith, Jews and Gentiles. People who have been arrested simply because they are Christians. People who have died today just because they're Christians. People who have died with the name of Jesus on their lips because they refuse to deny him. And that's the reason in some ways 
why we can hear Jesus and read in the words today. After, parenthetically, Judas had betrayed him, he announced to the rest, now the Son of Man can be glorified. It took something horrendous for that to occur. But the outpouring of love that eventually came from the betrayal to the denial to the death upon the cross, all of those things which were negative, out of them came a remarkable amount of love that converted people's lives as they were drawn ever closer to Jesus. So I want you for just a moment as you prepare for the rest of your day, remember that somebody today needs to hear from you, from you, not just somebody, from you that you love them. They need to hear that. It's going to make a difference. You might not think that it does, but I'm here to tell you that it will. And you get to use that with love, with joy, with people who are desperately wanting to know of love. Because if you show them your love, then you have a chance to show them where you got your love. And when you show them where you got your love, then they will understand that scripture, which is the most complex and yet most simple verse you will find. And that is, God is love. It's not what he does, it's who he is. And all he asks of us is to share the love that has so freely been given to us. For Jesus is a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of people Israel. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.